welcome back to the Lawali Life podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields, talking about the greatest stresses and losses and challenges they've had to overcome and how they came back from them with tips and inspiration from how you can come back through yours. I talk mainly about stress and loss in this podcast and focus largely on stress because it's a fate we all share to go through stress and to experience loss. So I want to bring you amazing speakers from around the world to share with you their inspiring stories to make you realize that we can all come through our own and there are little tiny things we can do every day to keep us at our best. In today's episode, I'm joined by the amazing Anita Kaushal. Anita is the founder of the Ayurvedic beauty brand, skincare brand, Morley Rituals. And it's just, I loved this conversation so much, I can't even tell you. It was so amazing, first of all, learning about Ayurveda and the science behind that and what we can do with it, the power of that, and how her brand was born through an extreme tragic loss of losing her 10-year-old daughter Millie to cancer. But Anita's incredible wisdom and outlook on life and all the nuggets she shared through this were just so amazing. And she even ended up almost interviewing me by the end, <laughs> flip reverse, which I've never let happen. But her wisdom was so enjoyable, I just thought I can't not and just let this conversation go where it needs to. So I hope you enjoy as much as I did. excited to talk to you about so many different things I've been really um looking at you know your brand and you online and I just you don't even know where to begin but as a starting point I would love to just ask you you know how how did your journey to Morley even become you know that incredible brand Ayurveda I can't wait to talk to you about that because I've never had anyone on the podcast who um you know is an expert in that so I'm really excited but, you know, what was the journey for you from getting to that point of this amazing brand? You know, like a lot of, um, well, I don't know about like a lot of brands, but like life, the journey was, it was not pre-planned. And yet I suppose it was always meant to be, meaning I certainly didn't grow up or, you know, even as an adult think, oh, I want to launch a, a beauty brand. It just was the furthest thing from my mind. My my first love has always been interiors. And then what I realize is my first love has always been the common thread with everything I've ever done has been about heart and soul. It's about emotion and about how we connect to always. I, I've written two books for Thames and Hudson. They were the same topic, you know, about how we connect to our emotions. And I never really knew that was the thread. But what I realize is that whatever we do, it is an extension of who we are. And if it's an extension of who we are, then we'll bring that same, we'll bring that same energy to whether we're selling beauty products or we're selling cables or you know whatever it might be. But what brought us to Morley was really my father-in-law's an Ayurvedic doctor, and out of all the uh, all our parents, he's the only one that's alive and very very well. He's 87 and he's the picture of health. He, his skin glows with vitality. He practices yoga for an hour in the morning. He meditates for two hours in the morning. He still does charity work. Come rain or shine, he walks for an hour. And he tries not to wear too many layers when he walks because, you know, he says one must build up immunity and resistance. And so, yes, because it's cold outside, you should wear a jacket, but don't wrap yourself so warm that you can't cope with the cold. So... You know, and herbalism, like anytime there's an issue in the family, he would treat it with herbs. And the older we got, the more we realized we better follow that path. Because if we follow the path of our other parents, then ill health is, it's going to happen. But it's not, we're not supposed to get old and be, we're supposed to die of old age. We're not supposed to die of disease. And he is living proof of that, as are many people that practice Ayurveda. So we lost somebody that was very, very dear to us, you know, very, very dear to us. And it just made us kind of question the way we were living, everything we were doing, and what we wanted for the next chapter. When we started Morley, I was 48. So it wasn't like I was thinking, right, start a beauty brand, make lots of money, and then you know, move to the Bahamas. It wasn't like that. It was what will give me 
an income and be a wholesome life where I will also be learning. You know, because I think a lot of people who go into Ayurveda or anything that is holistic, it is in part he to heal thyself. You know, we do it as much for our own growth as we do for the byproduct that hopefully it's going to help other people too. And so we kind of just, we were really naive. And I think naivety is a good thing because we just thought, let's put our whole heart and soul into this. Let's literally start from the kitchen table and let's see what happens. So the journey was loss and the journey was the realization that we all have the power and we all are supposed to live a vital life. So that was really long way of answering your question, I think. No, I love that. It's um, so, um, it's a wonderful, wonderful answer. So, I mean, talking about the journey from loss, because obviously I talk a lot about loss and stress on the podcast and people's different experiences with it. So actually before we even go into Ayurveda, which I'm so fascinated about, um, what what is the greatest stress or loss that you've personally had to overcome? Um, You know what? It's so bittersweet and it sounds very strange to say this, but we lost my daughter when she was 10 to a brain tumour. First had the brain tumour when my son was two and a half days old. She was diagnosed with a grade four brain tumour. And all of a sudden, I just lost my business, by the way. Well, I was about to because she had a brain tumour. So uh, around, basically, I had this son that I'd been longing for for years. And within two and a half days of that, the doctor tells us she needs to go into Great Ormond Street right now. Uh, she had to have a nine-hour operation and then a year and a half of treatment. And I was building this interiors business that was my baby, and I loved it. it. was before the children were born, and I had to give that up, and that was a loss. But she got better, and that was the most important thing. But then, so she was two and a half then, I think. And then when she was 10, it came back again. And I'd never thought about it in all those years. Once she was better... She was better. I never went back there ever. And the doctors would say, bring her back for a scan. Sometimes I would. And sometimes I'd say, no, I know she's okay. I'm not bringing her. Give it to someone else because scans are expensive. And it's, you know, it's um, valuable money that someone else could, well, the resource that someone else could do with. I knew in my being she was fine. And then when she was 10, Something said, go back for a scan. I don't know, mother's instinct. I think we all have it. We went back for a scan and two weeks later, we had a call to say, you know, she needs to have a biopsy. Still wasn't thinking anything was really bad. I just thought the byproduct of all the chemo may have caused some other issue. And radiation, of course. Um, Anyway, we went back. We sat on the same sofa that we'd sat on when she was diagnosed the first time. And this time they told us she was terminal and that she probably had three months to live and we just said okay and that kids were taking her home we did and that's why I say bittersweet because some of my most beautiful memories are of that time and some of my saddest memories are of that time so she passed away 10 months later she managed to live for 10 months and that was again our reason for Morley is because we thought, I thought, my daughter was called Millie, and I thought, okay, I'm going to raise a million pounds in her honour, and I'm going to improve a million lives, as I know she would have had she been around, and so I set up an initiative called Millie On and On, and it was, you know, how we keep that goodness living on, and about nine months into me working on that, my husband came to me and said, look, Anita, you know, art for art's sake, but we do need to get back to work because we do have a son to support. And so he was a skincare distributor and he asked me, would I support him? But I didn't believe in the brand he was distributing. There was nothing wrong with it, but it didn't feel something I could put my heart and soul behind. And that was really important to me. So I said, look, you know about Ayurveda, I know about it, I will support you, but you'll have to let me do it my way, which is that it just has to come from the heart, and we have to make giving part of it. We don't have to make a song and dance about it, we don't, we'd have to search for it on our website that we, you know, that giving is a part of it, but it was my motivation. 
And so every every time we sell a product, we give a little, and Millie's there with us. So in many ways, I feel she's not left. She's right here. And you you understand that, Alice. You know, they're larger than life, and they're bigger than when they were in their physical form. So yes, that was the hardest time. That was the motivation. I feel that's my journey, like you have your journey, Alice, like everyone you speak to does. And you don't want to be in this club, but if you are, you see the privilege that it brings to you because it opens your eyes beyond an hour. You know, it's, um, life is bigger than we see it here. So that was my biggest loss, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, would you say, I mean, because obviously to lose a child is, you know, essentially the greatest loss any human can really go through because it's, you know, someone who's a part of you so, so much and... I know from seeing my dad lose his daughter that sometimes people don't make it through those kind of losses in their own mental you know, way. And you've obviously drawn such an incredible strength and um, motivation for this amazing brand from it. Was, was that strength from the brand or what was it that you know, gave you that strength to come through such an awful tragedy? Millie, because I looked at her and she knew, I told her that she would be leaving us because she said to me, mummy, you know, I'll do yoga and I'll eat properly. What do I need to do? And I, I could not have her leave this body um, with um, mistrust. And so when she asked me, I just said, darling, I think it's God wants you to wear a new costume in the drama. And that's truly what I believe. And that's my, you know, call it blind faith, but being brought up a Hindu, I do believe that that life carries on. I do believe that this is just, you know, this is a great big dream and there are other chapters in the dream and she gets to be a princess in the next one or an astronaut or a housewife or whatever it might be. But it, you know, life carries on. It just doesn't carry on with me in the physical. That gave me great strength. And I also seeing the pain she was in gave me great strength because I thought, my God, she's having to go through this. So who the hell am I to complain when I've been given my health and and I've been given 10 blessed years to be the mother of this child? That is a privilege. So how dare I moan and ask for more? Who, 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 what gives me the right to do that? And then Morley, definitely, because when I started Morley, hand on heart, I had many fears and I was not where I am today in life. Morley, Morley is my medicine. It teaches me every day because the deeper I go into our brand, the more I learn and the more I become the authentic version of me and not the fearful version of me or the um, egotistical version of me. And hand on heart, I don't think I was like that at the start. I had glimpses of it, but there was fear and there was an element of greed and all these different things, but Millie opened that door and then Morley has continued it and she's in that anyway. The extraordinary thing is, Alice, I decided to call it Morley because it's the sacred thread that symbolises the connection we will share. And what I didn't realise until two years after is the first two letters of our brand name are my son's name and the last two letters are my the end of my daughter's name, first to the beginning of his name, and in between is the letter U. That's it. His name is Marlo, she's Millie, and in between Morley is U. And so I feel like this brand was for his future to so that we don't break and we show him life carries on, to honour her past, but it's for everyone in between, which is all of us, because we are all connected. And that's divine. And I didn't do that. So when I work on Morley, I realize I'm not doing any of this. It's divine. And if we will allow it, that divinity is there to guide all of us. And we've just got to pay attention. I love that. Um, I mean, that name, that word is so beautiful. How you said that, that's such an amazing, I don't believe in coincidences. So I think that's an amazing synchronicity. And um, wow, amazing. So I mean... Speaking of the divine and connection, how do you, I truly believe that's all, you know, we're all our spiritual beings having a human experience as opposed to the other way around. And connection is obviously something that can really get pushed aside in the modern Western world in terms of just connecting more deeply to ourselves every day, connecting to something greater outside of ourselves as well. 
How do you keep your sense of connection? What does connection mean to you? So it's seeing seeing myself in the other in every single thing and seeing the connection I have with me. Like I, for years, I looked at that connection from other people. You know, I, well, I looked at that completeness rather. So, you know, I am worthy if this person likes me or if I achieve that goal or whatever it might be. But when I connect to me, which is a non-negotiable every morning, is the, is the morning meditation, every morning. And actually, my daughter went to a school in Kensington where they taught Sanskrit and they meditated before every class. And it was a Christian school, but they did that before every class and they would have a minute silence and they would do the same at the end of the class. So I think, again, she brought that into my life. But the connection comes from meditating. And, yeah, that's the core thing, that if I had, if it was one thing, it would be that, um, so that I'm more present in the day. And, again, Morley has given me that, and Ayurveda has given me that. Because Ayurveda is about the connection to the self, to mind, body, and soul, and to all that is, to nature. It's to everything. And it's being you know, in this world. And again, you know this, Alice. It's being in this world, but kind of not of this world. You know, it's being connected, but having your own center. And it's only when you have your own center that you can feel connected. Otherwise, you just feel you're alone and little me. You know. Um, so, I mean, tell me about Ayurveda because I have actually I've been to an amazing Ayurvedic. Um, spa once and had a massage there and I want to learn more about it because I just find it very interesting and I do you know energy healing and things like that and I'm really fascinated by the doshas and all those sorts of things so I mean could you explain a bit about that first of all? So Ayurveda simply translates to the science of life and actually as simpler ways it is a way of living well that's what Ayurveda is and it is a science because it's governed by the laws of nature. And so what Ayurveda tells us is that we are, we are connected to all that is on a macro and micro level. So we're connected to everything we see around us and to everything we see in us. And our own body is its own little ecosystem. So everything in our body. So, you know, when what we say is we will have a place where disease starts and then there's a place where it ends. And if you can make the connection of where it's beginning... It never need to get to that end point. But we're so, uh, we're so numb to our feelings and our bodies that we wait until things are acute. We then go to the doctor, who we might see for five minutes every six months, and we will expect them to know more about our mind and body than we do, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so we've given away our power, and then we blame them for not getting it right. But why should they know you better than you know yourself? It's, it's crazy. So Ayurveda is about tuning in every day to how you are feeling mentally, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And, and we start with the spiritual because if you don't have that connection, you won't value your body enough to actually give it what it needs. So, you know, a lot of times we will talk about, um, I don't know, Eating omega-3 is really important. You know, eating fish is really important. Organic food is important. But if you're not in tune with your body and your body has dis-ease, your body won't get the nutrients from that food. So you may as well have bought a bag of crisps because you're not going to get the nutrients. So there's too much talk about the putting the plaster on it rather than first fixing what is. Ayurveda gives you a regular MOT and a way of living a healthy life. When we talk about the doshas, what we're talking about is we are all made of the elements. Alice, you may have described somebody as a fiery character, or you may say she's such a grounded, or he is such a grounded person, or um, that person's a bit of an airhead. What you're doing intuitively is describing their elemental makeup, their, their, their kind of nature, their nature because we are nature so that person we might describe as a bit of an airhead has the quality of air and ether in their body as a dominant characteristic so these people move very fast they speak very fast they spend fast they walk and talk fast and they they move from one subject to another they barely finish a sentence and they're already on to the next topic um, and so 
in the body, anything to do with the nervous system, anything to do with movement, because of course the body needs space in order to move fluids and so on, is governed by that vata energy. Now it's great to have that energy, but if you have too much of it, it will cause constipation because things are not moving. It will cause bloating, uh, gas. It will cause anxiety because the, the thoughts are so, um, you know, so kind of up and down and so fast that you don't have time to process them. Uh, and it might cause um, wakefulness. So people of that character, are, they sleep fast, but they keep waking up. So in Ayurveda, what we're saying is, we don't want to change your elemental makeup. If you're predominantly Vata, which in the West most people are, probably because of the lives we lead, we're not trying to change you. We're just trying to make you the best of you. So if you're somebody who's a creative person who loves jumping from one topic to another, that's celebrate that because we need those people around us. But we just want to keep you at the best of you and not the part that sort of becomes untethered. So then you have the pitta personality. or um, It's not a personality. It's um, You have this in you. It's not that you are that, but you have it, a prevalence to it. These people are the energy of fire and water. So what does fire and water do? It transforms. So it's anything in the body that is transforming. So that is, you know, again, how fluids are transformed or how food is transformed. And it goes to the right places and gives it the nourishment it needs and so on. And... Pitta people are very sharp people. They're very, very bright, intelligent people, generally in positions of power and of perhaps managerial positions. Um, because, and they're very good at a spreadsheet. <laughs> I don't like spreadsheets. I don't even want to like them. I'm done. People relish Excel. That you know They can do it in their sleep. And you ask them to solve a problem, not a problem. However, when they are out of balance... Physically, it will cause things like inflammation in the blood, in the bones, on the skin. You know, anyone who has inflamed skin, that's a pitta imbalance. Mentally, they will become quite angry all of a sudden. So they may be fine, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you'll hear people say, um, you know, they suddenly lost their temper. That is a pitta imbalance because they're fine, and then they've overdone it, and they explode. Because that heat has to go somewhere. Um, and they lack compassion for themselves. And then that comes out as also lacking it for other people. So they really have to watch that they keep that fire, you know, simmering, but not burning over. So, of course, we need that fire because that's what gives us um, our digestive fire. That's what keeps things um, healthy. But again, you've got to keep it in check. Then you have the kapha-dominant people. These are the people who have the energy of earth and water. They're the mother earth. They're, when you think of what does earth do, do it, and earth and water, it's like a glue, isn't it? It binds. And in the body, it's everything to do with the immune system. So a strong immune system means that your kapha is in balance. A weak immune system means that part of you is out of balance. So these are the people who, you know, like the earth, solid firm, dependable, reliable. In relationships, these are the people who don't like conflict. So the pitta person will be, if there was an argument, the vata person would say, oh gosh, was it my fault? Because they're feeling anxious. The pitta would say, it was your fault and sort it out. And the kapha would say, I don't know whose fault it is, but can we please move on and try and solve the problem? They don't like conflict. And so they're very good that way because they keep people together. But they and they hold on to relationships. So you you know, if you have a cover in your life, they will stay with you through thick and thin. They will forgive, but they won't forget. They have the memory of an elephant. So whereas Vata will learn very quickly but forget two days later, cover will take two days to learn, but they'll never forget. So these are dependable people who are a bit slower to do things, but they get the job done and they get it done right. So they're very good in sort of anything that needs a little bit more detail. And they don't mind being in a job for a long time and doing the same thing. They're contented. However, if they're out of balance, they can become very sad and lethargic. They may be lacking in motivation to do anything. Their drive completely goes and they just feel very down. 
you know, and so they really have to watch for that. And also then that um, they will hold on to what people have said. And like I said, they'll forgive, but it's still there. So you may have a couple of friend who might say to you five years after the incident, yeah, but I remember that time when we were having a drink in the bar and you said, and you think, whoa, why is she mentioning that now? I thought that was done and dusted. But no, she still, she still remembers. And so they have the tendency to perhaps hold on to things that they really could do with letting go of. Now, all of us have all of these in our body, all of them. But as I said, we have a prevalence for one more than another. When we know how to work with our nature rather than against, we can find harmony. So in winter, we don't feed the plants, right? There's enough water, they've gone to bed, they're okay. We wouldn't sort of drench them, and they're getting the rain anyway, but we, you know, we wouldn't drench them, they've gone to sleep. When we need to sleep, as humans, we need to sleep. When we need to wake, we need to wake. Some of us need more sleep, some of us need less. Some of us will wear two cardigans when we go out, or rather two layers, some will wear one. It's about knowing what's right for you. And again, don't expect a doctor to tell you that because his prescription will be one size fits all. So the way in Ayurveda to do it is to look at opposing qualities. So when Alice is feeling hot, Alice needs to eat something cooling. When Alice feels too cold, she should opt. That's why we have stews in winter, right? We don't mm. have pots because we are going you know, we're doing the opposite because that's what will nourish our bodies. But all too often, we will do what's right for the collective rather than what's right for us. We just need to keep tuning in, saying, this is what's right for me. So nip it in the bud. If you wake up feeling tired or you wake up feeling anxious or you wake up feeling angry and frustrated, you know that's a sign disease is starting in your body. Nip it in the bud. Don't wait for the pitter imbalance to become uh, ulcers. Don't wait for the cup imbalance to become uh, a severe disease like lymphedemia or vata to become arthritis or, um, you know, nerve pain. Don't wait for that. The minute you feel uncomfortable, the smallest way, that's your time to say, okay, check in, what do I need to do for my constitution? And then do it. Again, sorry, very long answer, but I hope that I hope that makes sense. No, it does. I think that's amazing because it's, um, I almost like heard that as sort of Ayurveda is almost celebrating and balancing the uniqueness of every individual. And you, you know, the way I say it, Alice, is you, I like Beyonce, I like Barbara Streisand, and I like Lady Gaga. I don't want one to become the other because I don't want to be robbed of any of them. They're all really different and they're all Amazing. We want everybody to be their unique self because that's what makes the world such an interesting, dynamic universe. You know, so we we want to we we say we want to honor the sacredness of each individual, and that's why I go back to it starts with the spirit because when we honor our soul, that's when we begin to have respect for our body. It doesn't kind of work the other way around, and so I totally agree with that. I think that's. Such an um, such an important point because I think so much so in the you know the Western world particularly we've obviously incredibly you know we talk about the body and people want to go to the gym and they've been on a health kick for a while but I I really don't believe that you can have you know health with even just mind and body I really truly believe it has to be soul spirit mind and body all together and um, sadly the the soul side is often overlooked as either people don't um, connect to the fact that they you know are a spiritual being having a human experience or they just want to sort of push that side of their health aside because they don't feel it's as important as the physical because they can't see it and they can't feel when things are going wrong when actually you can you know within your energy once you tune in like you say so I mean for Ayurveda how do people can you, can you tell, for example, someone who knows so much about Ayurveda, could you tell from being around someone what um, dosha they are? Or can and you? You could too. You could too. If it, you know, with the little description I've given you, you could also look at someone. Again, you'll notice, you know, if their legs are kind of um, constantly moving. You know when they're moving their legs up and down? They're sitting, but they're never quite still. They're jittery. That's a very vata. Yeah, you can absolutely recognize it. And what's wonderful about it is when you recognize it, 
you have more compassion for that person because you can see when they're out of balance. It's not their true nature. Something's happened to make them out of balance. So you kind of feel, you feel compassion and you also recognize how to interact with that person because, you know, some people want to be treated very kindly and gently and, you know, others want to be like a cover person. Really, they're feeling out of balance. What you want to say to them is, come on, let's go for a brisk walk. Because they will really, literally, they would just sleep all day when they're feeling like that. If a, a pitta person's feeling in, in balance, this one with, you know, this um, fire energy, you want to say to them, let's just calm down, sit down. Let's treat ourselves to a little conversation, a massage. You know, you want them to slow down because they're so hard on themselves that they go, go, go. And, you know, with a vata person, you may want to talk to them and let them un unload. You absolutely can tell. And you can tell, most important, you can tell it in yourself. And you can learn to con continually tell it in yourself so you know what's going on. And, yeah, in other people. If you go to an Ayurvedic um, doctor, he will buy... If he's a really... I'm not at that level, Alice, because that takes years of study... But there are Ayurvedic doctors who could, by touching your pulse, tell you what disease your mother has at this moment in time. Well, that's incredible, isn't it? They could tell you everything about your mother's medical history by checking your pulse. Because that's how connected we all are. And it is extraordinary. Another thing you can do every morning is you can look at your tongue. I don't know if you do that or if you do tongue scraping at all. Do you do tongue scraping, Alice? Funnily enough, I was literally watching a video about the other day and I thought I need to do this. Because... It's so easy. It's so easy. Like it's 10 seconds because what happens is anywhere we have a hole in the body, that is, that is where the toxins are trying to come out of. So, you know, when you sneeze or cough or belch or whatever it might be, that's a good thing because the body doesn't want to hold, store it in. It's trying to let it out. Likewise, on your tongue... That film you see every day is all the bacteria and toxins wanting to be scraped off your tongue. Now, what a lot of people do is they brush their tongue, and all they're doing is moving it all around <laughs> their tongue, which is crazy. I've never understood that. I was like, oh, what the hell? Or you just leave it there, and if you leave it there, it's going to go back into your system and also cause gum disease and tooth decay and all of that. So what you want to do is scrape your tongue. But a really good thing to do in the morning is look at your tongue. Because in Ayurveda, for instance, if your tongue has lots of ridges on it, that is a sign of a chronic problem with your colon. That is a avata disease. You know, if you see that it's too yellow, that's telling you there's too much inflammation. So when you learn to read your tongue, that's really easy that anyone can do. Go to Pinterest and there'll be... A thousand diagrams on it. It's so easy. That's a sure way of checking what's going on inside. And then you can put it right. Because it's not difficult to put it right. It doesn't need a doctor. So try that. Because that's something you could do tomorrow. I definitely will. I think that's so, so cool. So, I mean, in terms of like learning about Ayurveda, did you learn from your father-in-law and your own self-study? I learned a lot from my father-in-law but he would be very regimented about it. I learned a lot from observing him, but then I also sat in study with him, which is such a privilege. But my father-in-law is very old school, and if I dare my being a Vata personality, if I dare turned away or said, oh, but can we move on to that subject, he would be a bit like, no, we're doing this. Sit down and learn. And that could sometimes be quite tricky from him. Then I wanted to do it in a way that was a more methodical way, of a structured way of learning, so I also did... Um, a course here in the UK. Then I also studied a little in India. And then I read feverishly, which I continue to do. And my father-in-law, who's 87, will tell you that learning never ends. And, and I'm sure you, if you do healing, Alice, feel the same way in energy work. The more you learn, the more you realise there's so much to learn. Yeah, absolutely. As you know nothing. You know? <laughs> exactly. So I'm continually learning. and I, I hope I'll learn till my dying day you know um that's amazing i mean so what has ayurveda shown you about yourself all the projections that we have all the judgments that we have all the all the negativity that we have it's all it's all an illusion that is just 
we're not comfortable in our own skin. We're not comfortable in our body and we're not tuning in. That's it. Once you tune in, everything that you see outside is one big party. You know, you can even, you know, you can even rise and thrive after the loss of a child. Once you drop all that illusion, and Ayurveda has taught me that. You know, people would say, Alice, and you've probably had this, your father's had this, anyone who's been on your podcast has had this. People would say to me, oh, but you'll never get to see her go to uni. Oh, imagine now she would have been getting married. Oh, but imagine, oh, you, you know, she, the grandchildren. Well, what's the point of imagining something that was never going to be? What a ludicrous thing to say. It's like saying, you know, imagine if you'd married George Clooney. Well, that was never going to be my path. <laughs> you know, and conversely, if you, want, if you want to go into imagining, imagine that she'd been a drug addict. Do you want to imagine that one for me? No, you don't, because you always want to look at what really was not to be. The The biggest thing that loss taught me, and Ayurveda taught me this, you can only find happiness in yourself. It's not dependent on circumstances, and you must not look for it in anyone else, because it's a very, it's a lot for that person to have to carry. It doesn't mean you can't find joy when you're with them, but you've got to find it without You've got to. And that's what I've just taught me is it's not dependent on my daughter going to uni or marrying a nice man or me having grandchildren. All of that is icing on the cake. But if I'm miserable and not in tune, I'll be that way when she has all those things. And, you know, I think she gifted me that. I think we've all been gifted in some way, right, on our journeys, you know. We can't deny that because they're still here and everything we say and do is a result of our experience. So how can they not be here? <laughs> it's just not possible. That's what Milly and Ayurveda have taught me. Yeah, for sure. I love that, and I think it's um, it's so it's I totally believe that it's so true that although obviously there's you know so much pain that comes with loss, there's also so much well, just experience and learning and a shift in perspective that you could never have had if you hadn't had that loss. And it's there are small little gifts within the loss itself. And when you start to see those, then it becomes, I don't know if the word is an easier process, but a smoother process. And um, I think it's, it's definitely, it's a fate we all share. You know, that's why I talk about it on the podcast. People who are listening now who haven't been through a loss the, the sad reality is that we all will go through loss and we all are going to share the same fate of not getting out of this alive. <laughs> We're all, all going to go on somewhere else or whatever you believe. So loss is a huge part of being human, but it's such a subject that's so often just really pushed aside because people are so uncomfortable with it. I mean, did you find, I've had some very funny moments actually, I think. I mean, I've lost my father and my sister and at my dad's funeral, um, a fa- I'll say a family friend because I don't want to shame them. But they they were so uncomfortable with um, loss that she said to me, you know, I don't like funerals. What about you? And I was like, not great with them, but I kind of have to be because it's my dad's today. You know, just like what an odd comment to say. And I think some people get so uncomfortable with loss because it's not open and talked about in this culture in the way that it should be, you know, death and the, you know, our views of where they might be and connecting with that person still in a nice, healthy and normal way. Um, I think people can really get awkward. I mean, have you had any any of those moments with any of your losses where you just thought, God, that's a very <laughs> strange yeah, conversation? Yeah. And at that time, I also felt um, the people closest to me couldn't be close to me because it made them feel very vulnerable and fragile. And at the time, I did find that hard. And the ego part of me was saying, well, you should be here for me now. You should be here for me now. And it saddened me and upset me and made me cross. And later, I just realized, you know what? They were just doing what they could do. They couldn't handle it. Just have compassion for them. Because, again, nobody else is going to be able to fix it for you. But... It's given me compassion, so when I see someone go through loss, but I have to be very, very careful of not projecting my experience and expecting people to be okay 
the way that I am okay because everybody's journey is different. Everybody's path is different. So I really feel compassion, but I try not to tell people it's okay or it will be okay because I don't know that for them. Mm -hmm. I only know it for me. And I, you know, I was blessed to be in a good marriage with an incredible man who I could share that journey with. And for some people, that's not the case, you know. Um, yeah, we don't want this, Alice. This is not a club we want to be a part of, but we are. So to feel anything but gratitude and learn from it would just be futile. You know, what, what would be the point? We're not going to change it. So, yes, I think people should know more, more about death. I think it's so strange that we're not taught about how to deal with it. Very strange. As you say, we're not coming out of it alive. But the good thing is, if you saw your sister and your father, you know that when you see that body, you see so clearly that it is just a body. And that soul is flying somewhere because that person you loved is not in that carcass, not in that shell. That's actually quite a comforting thing, isn't it, Alice? It's, that's, that was one of the most, I mean, I think it's the sort of, you almost see like you're almost looking down on yourself when that moment happens because you just see it so clearly that they are not there anymore. Yeah. And it's actually comforting because you think, well, if I looked at them now and I saw that they were there but they couldn't wake up, I'd feel, you know, really, really disturbed yes. about it. But obviously you're distraught, but you can tell that they've gone somewhere and that's a very, very bizarre um, realisation to have. But very, like you say, it's, it's, it's beautiful as well. Yeah flying really one day going out for a jog and I looked up at the sky and I thought where are you like it's this enormous immense sky but where are you I can't see you and then I was screaming and howling because it felt so it just felt how is this possible that you've left but I don't know where you are and I can't find you and it were you know it was like the person had gone missing like like I should be going to the police and saying can you please look for her because I don't know where she's gone. And you have to have those moments, and that's okay. Um, and then you have to trust. And I'm sure you must have had signs, Alice, at some point, that they are somewhere. Did you get signs? Did you get plenty? Now that you're doing energy work, do you get even more signs? Yeah, I think I definitely, now that I've opened myself up to it, I mean, I I haven't shared this on the podcast, but I've shared it in, in sort of group sessions and my membership and things, that I've... Um, I've seen both of them since they've passed. I mean, I saw my dad um, in my room. I happened to go, my dad was in hospital and he came out of hospital for, for um, what we thought was going to be sort of six months still at the end of his life. And he ended up dying on the night that I went to London for one night to go and um, get, some, get some things. And so, sorry, the following day, but I woke up in the middle of the night at sort of 3 a.m. And I just felt like something was in my room. No. And not in a not in a scary way, but you know, and you just feel like you know there's a presence. And so I I looked into the corner of my room, and I could just see my dad, his sort of face, um, just smiling at me. He had a wonderful smile, and, um, and I just looked up half asleep, and I just remember thinking, oh hi, dad. You know, not going to be scared of you. And then I rolled over, and as I was rolling over, I thought, oh, that's not a very good sign. And then the next day I had um, missed calls, you know, from my mum, my sister and my brother-in-law all in one. And I just knew that he died. And so when I rang my mum back, I said, you know, for sure she told me. But it was interesting because I spoke to um, I spoke to a medium and she said that that's very common, that, you know, spirits can go between the two worlds before they're about to pass. And because my dad was I wasn't at home um, that night by chance, he wanted to come and say, goodbye to me and I was like god that is really you know something else he smiled Alice was the figure um like a was it almost luminous and you could see through it or was it solid it was it was luminous yeah it was luminous just like energy as opposed to a body you know what I mean yeah still very apparent it was him yeah wow and um how was he dressed I mean, I don't remember his clothes. I just remember more than anything his head. <laughs> he wasn't a floating head, but I just was so fixated on his face because it was beaming and smiling. But that was why my eyes just went directly to that. And you um, saw too. Yeah, well, that was a strange experience because I woke up um, 
in the middle of the night and my niece was staying with um was staying with us and she was in my bed and it was her birthday and um she was having a nightmare because it was very close to after her mom had died mm-hmm. and so I rolled over to sort of comfort her and I looked up and just standing directly um over her was just this glowing white light of um a female figure that oh. looked exactly like my sisters did and I I was I wasn't as open to things then as I was now so I was like oh and I just sort of shut my eyes and rolled over but I just knew it was her um and it, you know, those are the sort of two very strange experiences I've had but I would have loved to have the experience you did I, I never I didn't sort of try searching for it because there's no point but I did every now and then think wouldn't it be lovely if she just came to me wouldn't it be lovely but that's never happened and I just accept that well that's just not happened it's fine because I yeah you know I just it's just not happened it wouldn't mm. but I, I do I did sometimes think like you know we think silly things I think god wouldn't it be good on their birthdays if you could just let everybody that's passed just come home for the day on their birthday. I always think that. I always think, I'd just love to go for a drink with my dad this evening. Just oh, for one day. Just Can we have one free class a year where we just connect <laughs> how they're doing? And, you know, just for old times' sake, wouldn't that be a wonderful gift to have? But, I know. I, yeah. think that would be, I think that would be nice. <laughs> we're, we're where we are, you know, and it's just, this is it. This is where we are. And you have to make peace with it and find... You know, and, and Alice, you've got family members. I've got family members. I really felt that one life is has passed. I can't destroy my son's life. I can't do that to him because I'm an adult with a choice. You know, he's lost his sister. He was only seven. That can't have been easy. Then he can't lose his mum as well. Mm. He, did. he did for a while. I was very numb. I wasn't like the way I am now. I wasn't suddenly all okay, you know. Um... I was very numb um, and I was scared to hold him in case I fell in love and then what would happen if I fell in love again? I would break and I would not stop crying. But slowly, slowly, um, you know, it was okay. Slowly, slowly, but it took time. But again, you know, many people who've had loss, I remember Mills couldn't talk towards the end because she she had a brain tumour and, you know, she was feeling really poorly and she couldn't talk. And the night before she... The day before she passed, she said, I think I'm ready now because I can't really do anything, but I'll be flying with the angels soon. So she knew. I think they know. And then on the morning, she said, "Uh, can I go now? And I said, I'd always said to her before, no, we've got to do April Fool's. You know, we've got fun to have. And on that morning, I said, darling, when you're ready, just just go. She said, when? I said, it will be soon because she was really tired then. So she was mouthing it a little and I was getting it. And then she started to go into a coma and she couldn't speak. She was trying to speak, but it wasn't coming out. And I felt really sad that I I thought she might be saying I need some water or something. I don't know. But then she tapped on my thigh because I was sat next to her. She tapped three little, with three fingers, she tapped one, two, three. And that was our code for I love you. And she did that tapping and then she left. And (coughs) that's what... That's the realisation, is that that is all we are and that is all we need to do. And if we can connect to ourselves, we will do it and we do not need to worry about anything else. That's At the end of the day, that's all there is. And that doesn't go away. No. With that, she closed her eyes and it was only about an hour later that I, re- I suddenly thought, oh my God, that's what she was telling me. Because that, that was our code when we went out. So nobody needed to hear it, but it was our little thing. And that's what she was trying to say. That's so, so beautiful. I do believe that. I think it's um it's really funny because the amount of people who've, you know, either friends who've lost someone or um, my own mum said, for example, that when she, she lost her dad to a sudden heart attack the week before her 21st birthday. Mm. And the whole... Um, aspect of people knowing that they're about to go I, I do strongly believe that our subconscious our soul knows and um I actually had two experiences this was very strange my mum said to me so the week before her 21st birthday she'd gone to choose a watch with her dad for her birthday present yeah. and um he it needed the strap needed to be changed because it was too big or something 
And so they took it, you know, put it um, to the watch person and he just goes to her, I'll never see that watch again. And she was like, Daddy, don't be silly, you'll see it next week when, when it's my party, my birthday. And he died of a sudden heart attack three days, be- three days before. Um, and I just thought, wow, you know, that's another example of that. And um, I think it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely the case. I think was, our soul sort of has these, these understandings and instincts of its own path and what's going to happen. And even actually I thought, so I, um, well, before my dad went into hospital, um, he, the month before, I suddenly, a month before he went into hospital, felt so depressed and like I was grieving and in pain for no reason. And I couldn't understand why. And I was on holiday and in this amazing place with friends of mine who'd gone to Mozambique and it was like 15 of us. And I was having an amazing time, but I, I couldn't tell people. I was going off on the beach every day to go for long walks to try and process it because I didn't understand what was um, going on. And the pain felt very similar to when I lost my sister. So I was like, this is really strange. And it lasted for about a month and then went away. And then four weeks later, my dad went into hospital. And then later when, you know, when he passed away, I'd spoken to um, someone who does energy work like me, who I've spoken to for years. And she was like, you know, I think that is a part of it. Sometimes our soul actually knows what's going to happen. So you can almost go into sort of pre grief and pain and I was like well that makes sense to me because there was literally nothing in my life at that time that was causing it at all um so I think we do like you say I think whether it's us or whether it's someone else we can have these senses of things Mm. particularly when like you say we are all so so connected I mean for you to say like earlier talking about how a doctor can just Ayurvedic doctor can touch a pulse and know what disease your your parents have had or your mother I mean I truly believe all that. I think it's incredible. I mean, I was I was very energetically connected to my dad and I used to sort of feel his depression in the final years, which I found very overwhelming. But I know it's because we'd had such a strong bond my entire life. So I think you do just, you get, we're all entwined and we're all interconnected. And obviously we have to, you know, have our boundaries and create those sort of safe energetic spaces for ourselves. But we are definitely, I think the more we realise how connected we are, then the easier things become for us. Did you, um, with your father, did you, did you pick up some of that depression as, as your set point? Did you have to really work on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would go when it was, because he was very sadly depressed and for the last few years of his life after losing his daughter and his businesses went under at the same time. And I think he just, he got cancer again, didn't want to do anything about it. And he'd just given up. He was just like, I've had enough. I'd rather, he was in his seventies at the time and he was just like, I'm, I'm out sort of thing and I would go home to see him and I would feel his depression almost like attached to me so I actually learned then to about energy clearing and how to clear that off myself so how to separate energy I think a lot of people can get anxiety and not actually realize it's other people's that's attached to them um depression is quite an extreme thing but I think that's obviously more when you have a really strong connection with someone like a family member like you say um so yeah you can definitely I believe pick these things up energetically so I think learning how to connect to ourselves like you say more deeply and understand okay is this mine or is this someone else's and if it's not mine then how okay I can clear this off and I can have a salt bath I can do some energy work to you know release that um but picking up collective anxiety at the moment how are you what are you advising people to do at the moment because it we're feeling it we're feeling the compassion for for everyone around us aren't we and they're hurt and their pain so how are you suggesting people clear it yeah I mean absolutely it's it's such a thing at the moment particularly people's fear as well um being in London I think you pick up a lot of the collective fears and anxieties and frustrations that are going on with the stop start no one knows what's going on with the different rules and um and like you say as well the pain and stuff of when the whole we've never been in the situation where the whole world is hurting at the same time in different ways and that is a lot of energy mm-hmm. so i mean i say to people if you don't want to do it every day then you know please do it every week to at least have a you know have a epsom salt bath to clear off those um stagnant energies around you have an intentional shower if you don't have a bath so get a salt scrub do a visualization to just literally imagining any negative energy when you come back in the house have a shower draining off you and going down the plug and imagining it washing away um and particularly as well protection so a simple protective prayer 
for energy, which I think is so easy, is just what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. And to do that before you go out of the house so that you give yourself that protective shield. And people, you know, might not be open to it or they might think, okay, that's really interesting, I'm going to try it. But I think that's the whole point, just having an open mind to it and trying it and seeing, you know, how it affects you. And when I've had some very, very logical based one-to-one clients who are men um, who are usually, you know, stressed and finance and stuff. And they always sort of shy away from the energy side at first, but then they become so open to it that they try it and they think, oh, actually, no, this has made a huge difference. And I think that's the key for everyone just to have an open mind and try these different things and see what suits you, whether that's Ayurveda or energy healing or meditation or anything. Alice, when these men come to you, these city men, what, what do they come to you for? What are they, what's the part that they are open to? It's usually, that's sort of stress prevention and management. So they are, they can sense they're sort of, they might burn out if they don't do something about it. They want to sort of be able to switch off in the evening because they're not present with their families. That's the usual kind of concept I get. Oh, now, um, now you're going to recognize the ones that are the different doshas. <laughs> <laughs> you'll know it you'll know it straight away and then you, you know you'll know what their what their set points are and what their triggers are and I'm, I'm sure you know it anyway but from an Ayurvedic point of view you'll be, become so much more aware of it now it's really interesting isn't it and so fascinating and you know the fact that these men will come to you and then be open to energy work is just brilliant that you open that door for them it's just brilliant no, oh, thank you. No, I mean, I think it's just wonderful in any sense for people to, like I say, just try these different things. And Ayurveda for people listening, I mean, what's the sort of book that you would recommend, for example, as a starting point for that? We're going to put um, a series of books on our website because we're asked this a lot. But if anything that you read by Dr. Vasant Lard, V-A-S-A-N-T-L-A-D, he's like the guru of Ayurveda. He's such a knowledgeable, really humble man. Uh would be worth reading anything. And it's quite, um, his books are not difficult to understand. I also think as a starting one, the the Pucker Book of Herbs is actually really good too, because they touch on Ayurveda. Um, obviously for cookery, Jasmine Hemsley's book is really good. Um, there are so many now, because I will sometimes read the more deeper kind of medical books now that really go into detail, the original books. But yeah, there's so many now, and the Pucker one is really easy, uh, and then the Vicente Loud ones go into a, a bit more detail, and one of his is about herbs you can use in your kitchen, and uh, why you would use them. Another one is about everyday everyday ailments and how you might treat them. And you know, like I was saying, Alice, you can imagine like a, a pot, and you put milk in it, and you put it on the hob to simmer, and that's the starting point of your disease. And what happens is people leave it on too long and then it goes to the boil and then it boils over. So it's the same milk, but that boiling over is the third stage. And that's when we tend to go to the doctor. But we want to keep going to when the milk is simmering. That's the point we want to be tuning in. And Dr. Vasant's uh, last book that talks about you know general uh, sort of 80 different diseases that, that are quite common um, gives you a really good entry point into how you might look at what those are and what you might want to do about it. Oh, amazing. I'm definitely going to get that book. <laughs> a daily massage is really important. We always think of it as, you know, you need to go to a, a spa just for luxury. No, massage is so important to our health and particularly our scalp because our scalp ages uh, 12 times quicker than our skin and yet we ignore it really wow yeah, and you can't grow healthy hair on a dry scalp but we tend to ignore that because we can't see it and of course if you nourish your scalp your mind is also more alert you have you have 37 marmacons above your neck and they are connected to your body and so to nourish the scalp is really important in feeling healthy generally um, and the feet of course as well top and toe I mean, there's just so much, isn't there? I mean, to finish, because I mean, I could just talk to you for hours and you definitely... <laughs> I'm so fascinated. But do you, what would you say are your, um, your go-to simple practices for Ayurveda that keep you sort of balanced and healthy? 
So the first one, like I said, like a lot of us do, Alice, is, is meditation. But depending on what dosha you are, you can try different things. It's not a one-size-fits-all there either. So some might prefer mantra, some might prefer watching their breathing, some might prefer guided meditation. For me, it's sitting in silence, and whenever the mind wanders, I'll repeat a mantra. So that is the definite non-negotiable. Then I'll do 10 minutes to half an hour of yoga, depending on what time allows. I will read a spiritual book because that sets me up for the day, gets me out of my head as well, write a gratitude journal. All of this sounds like it would take forever. It doesn't. My morning practice is an hour and a half all in, but it's an hour and a half worth spending. I do the tongue scraping, and every day I will do a massage, self-massage, which doesn't take long. you know. And as I say, if you haven't got time, do your scalp, do your feet, because that's why when you have reflexology, why do you have it? Because of, you know, again, the connection to the body. And do your hands. And put oil in your nose, just a little pinky finger of oil in your nose, in your nostrils, because that clears the pathways and give, makes your uh, brain more sharp and alert, because nothing's clogging it up. Um, so those are my daily... I don't do the oil every day, and I don't do oil pulling every day. Um, I've got Netflix to watch, I've got people to see. <laughs> so, you know, but those are my morning ones. And the evening one, again, if I get time, I'll meditate in the evening, and I'll do a gratitude journal. It's really not that difficult. And of course, eating for the way I'm feeling. So eating for your dosha. But what's even more important than eating for your dosha is seasonal, local, organic food. But that's when you've really cleansed. So what we do in Ayurveda, which is really, everybody can use it, an MOT. And when the world opens up and we can travel, is for people to do Karma. I don't you've maybe heard of bunch karma is, is when you literally you'll go away and you'll have 14 days or 21 days or, or seven days if that's all you can manage of totally purging the body because we store so much uh, we store emotions and we store so many toxins and it's to completely cleanse it so you're like a newborn baby and then what you eat will give you what you need um, mm. We can't all do that right now, but intermittent fasting is another one. That's incredible. Yeah. I would love to try that. Um, yeah, when we can. That sounds like an amazing thing to reset you. Definitely, Alice. And when you do it, you'll want to do it every year. And you'll wonder, well, why don't we do it every year? You could do that at home as well. And again, you'll find probably an at-home bench karma on our website, uh, on our blog. You can do it at home. And it needn't be severe. Um, yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to definitely delve it. I mean, it's such amazing skincare on your website and all sorts of articles and things. So I definitely recommend people going to have a look over there and finding more about this. I mean, it's um, actually I have one more, more question before we finish, because I'd love to ask you this question. I ask everyone on the podcast and I feel like you will have um, your, a wonderful answer because it's um, something it. we've already talked about, but... <laughs> But um, what does spirituality personally mean to you? It's uh, having that soul connection. I think that that we are, uh, you know, we are this ecosystem, and we have God within us because we are all connected. And so, spirituality to me is really connecting with my inner soul, so that I can come put my best self on my outer physical body. You know, I can present myself. This soul. Again, long answers. What the hell is up with me today? No, I love them. <laughs> if I'm connected to my soul, this body that I've been given, I'll do right by it. I'll do my duty by this body and vice versa. It's soul connection. Just having that soul connection. Yeah. And then having fun, you know. You know, Alice, spiritual people, you know, we can go to the pub and have a laugh and crack a naughty joke. And <laughs> we don't sit there meditating all day. We're just more aware of our behaviour, you know. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that's so true. It's um, a silly, common misconception that, you know, to have a spiritual connection or to be spiritual, you have to sort of, even to meditate, I always say people think they have to sort of sit like Yoda on top of a mountain and not have a single thought come through their head or to be spiritual, you can't possibly have a glass of wine. or It's just the opposite, really. It's, um, I think, being able to integrate that into balanced and fun life is really actually the, a really great skill yeah because we're here to have joy right mm. 
My daughter told me that. She was so joyful, so such a happy, joyful, cheeky monkey. That's what we're supposed to be. You know, and I, I always say to my team, hey, hey, don't make that, don't make that so peace, love and brown rice, you know, because <laughs> it's not about that, you know. But um, yeah, that connection gives you that ability to have joy, I think, and sadness, and that's okay too. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, Anita, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your wisdom and experience. It's been such a wonderful conversation. So thank you. Love talking to you guys. Thank you. enjoyed this wonderful episode with the amazing Anita and have managed to soak up all her soothing energy and pearls of wisdom. If you did enjoy the episode, then let me know. I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at lawali underscore life. Tag me in your stories. We would love to know if you're enjoying the show and which episodes are your favorite. Next week, I'm joined by the amazing Jamie Clements, who is a breath coach, talking all about the power of our breath and how we can really use it.